Welcome to episode 49 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with hypnotherapist Zoe Clues. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Changeworks is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today, I'm chatting with someone who's built up a thriving hypnotherapy business in the heart of central London, where she's handpicked a team of specialist change workers to support those who come for help. Over the last 15 years, she's helped thousands of people to make positive changes and has a particular specialism in confidence, self-esteem, anxiety and trauma-related issues. This is someone who, in past conversations with her, has been happy to cut through the marketing hype around change to deliver some important ideas. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the podcast Zoe Clues. Thank you very much, Howard. Delighted to be part of it. Well, we really are very excited to have you and hoping we can jump straight in and you could tell us a little bit about um, who you are, what you do, and, and really focusing on how you got started. Okay, well, yes. Um, I started 15 years ago, which seems like an incredibly long time, and it's gone so quickly. And I think part of the reason it's gone so quickly is because I love doing it so much. Um, I started 15 years ago. I, did, I, you know, I never grew up thinking I wanted to be a hypnotherapist. I wasn't really sure what one was. Um, but um, I, in a way, hypnotherapy sort of found me, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I was doing lots of courses. Um, I was a bit of a party girl, working in the music industry, knew I wasn't using my brain. All I, I just kind of knew two things, really, that I wanted to work for myself and that I wanted to help people. That was it. I had those two points, really. And um, I did lots of different courses. I did the hypnotherapy course um, and... I just fell in love with it, really, just kind of gripped me by the throat, to be honest. And um, I was um, at that time in my life, I probably didn't have the self-confidence or the self-belief to think that I could do it. It was a really interesting lesson in self-belief, actually, in that you don't actually have to believe that you can do something. You just have to do it. And then the self-belief comes after. That was kind of my journey, really, with it. I think I was working in the music industry at the time. I think I got fired from my... uh, my music industry job and um, I was doing my sort of first six month exams and the tutor said to me I think you should fast track this um, to um, you know and, and, and just start and I remember at the time saying well, I don't really have the money to, to, to do the course I was going to take another two years to do it etc etc and um, he said well listen you know I really believe in you I'll um you pay me back when you've got the money but you know let's let's get you started sooner rather than later and that was one of the best things that could have happened because I made him a promise I don't 
renege on promises generally and um I started I didn't really believe that I was going to get any clients I didn't really believe that I was going to make it into a career but I did it anyway and um I had that I think a lot of the time in life when you're on the right path it flows and a lot of doors opened up for me quite quickly I carried on working full-time saw clients in the evening etc and then you know I transitioned to part-time and then you know I've been full-time hypnotherapist for the last 10 years or so um, and the last few years, what I've really done is turn it into uh, a proper business. By that, I mean I've taken on four associates. We all specialize in different things. We're all consummate generalists, but we all have our areas of expertise. And I say they're the things that we love working with. So I love working with complex and severe trauma, um, anxiety. I love working with all anxiety issues because I think the subconscious is where all anxiety comes from. And anxiety is one of the most debilitating, I think, mental conditions you can experience. But it is, in my experience, the easiest to resolve with hypnosis. It responds very, very quickly. So I love working. It's very satisfying. Um, Self-esteem, confidence. Um, they're the things that I, they're sort of the ones that I really love. I've got a relationship expert, Tom Fortes-Mayer. He's fantastic. So he's an amazing hypnotherapist as well. Very creative works around um, all relationship issues, works with couples, works with people who involuntary sing, invol involuntarily single who want to be in relationship, helping them move those blocks. I've got Paul, who is my addiction, addiction specialist. Um, he's fantastic. He's also medically trained. He also works with skin conditions and sports performance. I have Elaine, who's my children's specialist. Absolutely brilliant. So she works with children from three up until the age of 18. Um, it's just a, a wonderful lady. Um, and I've got Sandy, a real superstar. So she looks after weight loss and she also works with trauma, self-esteem. She works a lot with eating disorders as well. So what I wanted to do really was create a quite a strong brand and a one-stop shop, if you like, for all emotional, mental, um, and some physical issues within London. I've got big plans for the brand, really. I really want to roll this out and take on more associates. But I, you know, that's about quality control. I handpicked these guys because I trust them. I know the way they work. I know they've done a lot of work on themselves and they're very passionate and they bring a lot of um, care and put their heart and soul into each session with every client. So, yeah, I wanted to create a really high integrity business. Um, I want to be able to help more people. I want to have a bigger voice in the industry of mental health. I think mental health is still hugely misunderstood. Um, there's all this stuff all the time about, you know, there's advertising, which is kind of, I guess, well-intentioned, but things like, my, you know, I saw a poster a while ago saying my OCD is a part as much as a part of me as my blue eyes and um, blonde hair as if it's something you just have to live with forever. And this is the biggest misconception about this stuff. You know, anxiety, depression, OCD, all these manifestations of, if you like, mental health issues. You know, you don't have to, and most of it, you don't have to live with. You can change so much. And really, that's the message that I want to get out there because I think it's wonderful that there is all of this awareness around mental health. We didn't have any of that, did we? And now we've got this huge awareness around mental health. But there isn't enough awareness about what causes it. People are talking about the, you know, the, uh, the the manifestation of it. They're not actually talking about what's why these things happen. And that's what we need more awareness of. And that's, you know, that was what I want myself and my team to bring a lot more attention to, not just in terms of one to one sessions, 
in terms of the media and you know let's let's really look at this so people don't have to keep having these mental health issues i'm a big fan of early intervention i think there needs to be a lot more awareness around it yeah i'm on a bit of a mission really it was always a bit of a mission to change the world one mind at a time but now it's like okay let's really bring a lot more education and awareness to what causes anxiety depression ocd eating disorders you know i, I could go on so well, I think what really comes across to Zoe, and I'm hoping people, people, I, I'm sure will already be able to tune into, is the passion at which you talk about this stuff with. I mean, you are highly passionate about this. It comes across uh, in leaps and spades. Um, and also this idea of building a business uh, around hypnosis rather than just, you know, well, I'm seeing a couple of clients and then, you know, sitting and hoping that the phone's going to ring and someone's going to come across, you know, you're, you're absolutely, you know, making it your mission to, to build a business and take that part of things seriously as well. Uh, and it's fascinating and fantastic to hear. Um, as you know, this is the Rapid Change Matters podcast. Mm. And during the rapid fire round, and by the way, if there are listeners thinking, what the rapid fire round? I, I missed that. When was that? Um, we normally release it a couple of days before the, uh, the episode. If you missed it, you can just scroll down and underneath this episode at the bottom of the page, you will see, uh, the rapid fire round. It's eight questions in two minutes. And the first question, Zoe, was what's the worst advice currently being given out within the world of change work? Mm-hmm. And your response was that everything can be done in one session. Yes. And what did you what did you mean by that? Well, there's you know, this I really abhor this. This this really, really gets to me. There are therapists around, I think it's got a bit ego driven that, you know, perhaps have created this technique that they say we can resolve anything in one session, which is grandiose, you know, it's you know, it's not it's not reasonable. And listen, you know, I want to be really clear here. Some things can be changed in one session, but let's not put the pressure on everything to be changed in one session. If someone has gone through a childhood of complex and severe trauma to promise that for a certain fee, you can resolve all of that in one session is in my eyes, extremely irresponsible. Now, this isn't just an opinion I have. This is something that I have experienced in terms of, I end up working with some of these people who, you know, have pretty much given up on life and themselves because they were promised by this, certain practitioner therapist or whatever that was perhaps well-intentioned I don't know or you know just stuck a bit stuck in their own ego around it that you can resolve every single thing in one session so this client turns up they're, they're perhaps a bit naive about the level of trauma that they have experienced you know because a lot of people who've experienced a lot of trauma the first thing they'll do is sort of minimize it you know they'll have really bad symptoms such as panic attacks anxiety sleeplessness you know that sort of comorbidity uh, triangle which is insomnia depression anxiety no fun whatsoever you know but they're promised um that everything can be resolved in one session you know and there might be testimonials or whatever to back that up but what's happening here is you are not respecting the client's subconscious process and everybody is very different i do believe in rapid change i experience rapid change i've experienced it within myself when i've you know had work done with me and i've experienced it when i work with clients but I would never say to somebody that everything can be resolved in one session. Sure, we can clear up nail biting, we can stop smoking, but to it is so dishonouring of somebody's, you know, say childhood or brutal experience or you know severe 
you know, list of knocks that they've experienced through life to say that you can clear all of that up in one session. And then, of course, you know, what happens is the client goes, it isn't cleared up in one session because it can't possibly be because there's so much to do. And, um, you know, a lot more needs to be discovered and perhaps it needs to be treated sort of gently and not just blasted out with some various colour technique or whatever it is that they come up with these days. Um, And uh, they come away from the session dejected, feeling that they are even more broken than before because they're like, you know, I really am, you know, they'll think they're unfixable. They'll think that this is, you know, some sort of permanent thing they don't have to live with. And actually, you know, one of the points I always make is trauma happens quickly and in isolation. So I, my, my approach is that in a way you need to treat it in a, in a, the opposite needs to be true when you're working with somebody with trauma. So you've got to be really gentle, you know, and also you they need to feel really held and they need to feel really really safe so if you're saying to somebody this this has got to be resolved in one session what does that do to that part that's really traumatized you know it's just kind of there's so, there's so, there's so many there's so many problems with it and it makes me really angry and i think it's irresponsible of people to claim that and I just, again, I'll say it again, you know, I'll be clear, things can be resolved in one session, but not, you know, let's not guarantee that. And let's not, um, let's not make that a promise as well, because um, it's damaging. I, I think it's interesting. And, um, you know, back in the early days, when I cer- certainly started working, uh, I was, uh, I, I liked this idea of I could, uh, I could help anyone in one session. Uh, and I just saw a few too many people who, uh, yes, I was having some some successes for sure. But there were some people, and if I couldn't help them, I would speak to them, and they would they would feel even more dejected, yes, uh, which was a shame because actually, if you actually looked at it in isolation, you know maybe their uh, anxiety, their issue had reduced by fifty percent, and instead of going, "Wow, this is amazing," yeah, this is amazing, they're there going, "Well, I'm," you said one session, and it's only half gone, so I just you know I can't be helped, and you start thinking to yourself, "This is this is ridiculous that someone can have a great success." And still be looking at it because you haven't framed it, perhaps in, a, in an empowering way. Uh, so they're not looking at it in a way of success, which is uh, uh, certainly uh, a shame. I, yeah. I'm intrigued by something you said earlier uh, when you were talking about you building up self-belief about all mm-hmm. of this stuff. Um, and you referred to just, you know, sort of get, getting stuck in and seeing so that your self-belief could could increase. How important do you think self-belief is in terms of being able to do the work? Well, I think that, I think that, you know, confidence comes from doing, doesn't it? You know, so I think you have to have, you know, obviously you, you, you need to, you need to know what you're doing, basically. You can't just, you know, just in like a bull in a charm shop I think it's very important when you first start working out like don't go where you don't belong so when you first start working you know you work with the, the more mild to moderate issues such as nail biting smoking things like that really you don't want to be steaming in working with complex and severe PTSD when you don't you have to build up to that stuff but then the self-belief comes as you work with clients and you are able for me my experience was as I started working with clients, I was able to see much more clearly what was going on and how to work with trauma. But that was something that I built up. That, that's something I built up with. Now, I do deal with a lot of complex and severe PTSD and I get really, really good results and a lot of relief for clients, you know, and a lot of really positive feedback about freedom and resolution um, for that they experience from their issues and the manifestations of them. Um, but 
I, I wouldn't have started working with those things. It's something that I know, I think you've got to be careful with it, you know? And um, I think that there's a lot of stuff about, you know, there's a lot of hypnotherapy courses and it's like, you know, people just will just jump in and jump in immediately and you can do some damage. You know, you can mm. do damage if you aren't, you, you've got to be sensitive, you've got to be gentle, you've got to be respectful, you've got to be very acknowledging and honouring of this person has gone through this stuff and you can't just, you know, I've heard things like, you know, I've heard terrible stories like clients have come to see me and they said, you know, they've gone through some really severely damaging things and the therapist said, well, we're just going to put it in a box, mark the past and just throw it away. I mean, you know, going back to what I said earlier about how, you know, it's, you know, working with shame is, is, is you know, healing shame is one of the most powerful things that you can do to, to, with, with, with trauma. And you have to bring a lot of compassion to shame in order to heal shame. That's the antidote to it. Enormous compassion. And um, by somebody just saying, I'll oh, just shove it in a box and throw it away is you know, that is the opposite of compassion, you know, and I think that's damaging. It almost, it's almost shaming the client's experience, which is so important not to do. Um, do you think that there's an argument that, that one of the reasons why there are some people who will say, hey, listen, I can, I can sort this out in one session, is they're, they're trying to create, um, I'm not sure that I want to call it the placebo effect, but they're trying to enhance someone's belief, someone's expectation in getting a result. And perhaps they would argue that they get better results by having total congruence. It can be done that they're willing mm-hmm. to take the make take the sacrifice of the people that it doesn't work with. But well, well, but what a sacrifice, you know? What 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 a sacrifice that is. That's somebody who has been damaged, and then they're um, you know this this experience. And perhaps that therapist or that person who is practitioner who's, who's saying I can do everything in one session they may not have experienced the level of trauma that that person has. Do you see what I mean? So they're not really understanding and fully comprehending that to to make this promise. I mean, hey, if you're making promise with something lighter, then would it be as huge a problem as it is? No, but you, what you're making a promise with is somebody's mental health. So, mm. so you know, again, it goes back to that thing. It's... it's um, you know imagine you're saying we, we you know imagine we're using it for something else we'll get you i don't know 100 facebook likes or something like that it's a silly metaphor a silly example but you know you're not talking about something like you're talking about somebody's mental health and well-being which i think is really important not to make um a really big promise with um so and i know and i think if i think i don't think that that's that's powerful enough really when somebody has really really suffered and there's a lot of unresolved trauma in their psyche and in their subconscious then the placebo effect is not going to be powerful enough for that if it it may work for a little while if at all but in my experience of 15 years that trauma if it needs to be released from the system um heard acknowledged and fully worked through then nothing other than that will work fully for it so zoe i'm I'm curious how would you frame what you do um, and the the results that that someone could expect um, when you first start that process, or, or someone first, you know, I'm not sure what it is whether they they pick up the phone and say, "Can you help?" or an mm-hmm. email comes through. How do you frame how you're going to to work with someone? I always frame it in exactly the same way, which is the conscious and the subconscious model. Which you know, I, in a way, I don't even think of it as a model. I think of it as the reality so everyone that comes to see me has a is coming to see me with a subconscious problem if they were seeing me with a conscious problem you know if we've got a conscious problem we're like okay i'd like to stop doing this thing therefore i'll stop doing it 
or I'd like to start doing this thing, therefore I'll start doing it, yeah? But the subconscious, as we know, is so much more powerful than the conscious. So consciously, they may want to be in a relationship. But if your subconscious fear of getting hurt is stronger than your conscious desire to be in a relationship, then your subconscious is going to win. So how I frame it to people on a very simple level is what I'm looking to do is align your conscious and your subconscious desires. Because most of the time it's a battle. Consciously you want to start public speaking. Subconsciously there's a belief that it's not safe for you to do so. Therefore you go up to do a presentation and your subconscious will be triggered and it will kick into protection mode and you may experience anxiety, heart palpitations, shaking hands, blushing, sweating, you know, all manner of anxiety manifestations. So, you know, what I would say is that I'll talk to the subconscious and let it know, thank you for trying to protect this person so well in this way. However, this is no longer necessarily useful or helpful. And I will negotiate with the subconscious to let go of that. And depending on, you know, what's underneath the issue, you know, sometimes you may need to go back and just kind of do a bit of clearing. Sometimes you can just negotiate with the subconscious and ask it to let go of this thing because it's no longer helpful. You know, the subconscious, I think, is on your side. It's just that its beliefs are often based on things that happened that were, you know, painful, negative or traumatic that happened in the past. And therefore it's trying to protect you. Um, but there is no time in the subconscious as far as I can see. It doesn't understand linear time. So the negative experience that you went through, it will hold on to and then keep protecting you from that and triggering that anxiety or that avoidance, if you like, until it is addressed. And and if someone is first gets in touch with you and they say, well, you know, c- could you help me? How long is it going to take? And obviously mm-hmm. we've talked about this idea that we don't want to say, you know, you wouldn't be saying, well, listen, I can sort you out in one session. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, my guess is, is, you you also wouldn't want to turn around and say oh I really don't think it sounds I could help it sounds far too serious it's probably going to be years and years how how do you balance that managing their expectations about what's possible so what I always say to people is you know I usually look at how long they've had the problem for and how severe it is and I also you know what I sort of talked a little bit on the phone about what might be underpinning it you know if it's fairly new such as anxiety that's stress from work you know um then, you know, that, I think that's resolved fairly quickly. Um, what I always say to people is I would expect you to experience a significant shift after the first session of some kind, because that is what I experience when I work with clients in some way. Either the way they're looking at it, either some relief from the, the symptoms, um, either understanding the cause and understanding, you know, people get into this terrible place of like, I can't stop doing this thing and I really want to stop doing it. So they're beating themselves up from, for it. So I often say to them, well, look, your subconscious is driving this, you know, we, we have to work, someone else needs to work with your subconscious to change that. So what I am looking for in terms of change is usually an emotional release. Yep. So um, I think I said this to you when we chatted before, but I think of it like, um, I think yeah, here's your, there's, there's your conscious mind and there's your, and there's your subconscious mind. What I'm usually looking to do, I think the subconscious is almost like certain pressure points. If you press sort of gently but firmly on the originating issue and then you release it, then I think that the manifestation of how it is um, showing up in the conscious often drops away very quickly. So um, to quote Carl Jung here, he says, all neurosis has its excuse in legitimate suffering. So a lot of the time people are coming in with something like 
a uh, banana phobia, for example. I've had a few of those in my 15 years. People will think that's hilarious, but it's often nothing to do with a banana. And and you can peel the layers back from that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, you know, for example, there's the, you know, the subconscious is big on associations. Someone might have been eating a banana. We've got some really devastating news about someone they love dying, et cetera, et cetera. Now, they often don't remember anything to do with, um, that it's anything to do with that. But when you go back in time to ask the subconscious why this is manifested as this has this is what comes up but once you clear that then a lot of the um the 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 conscious manifestation the neurosis for want of a better word clears up so i'm always looking to to sort of release what is underneath because a lot of the time people would have done quite a lot of work and they'll come to see me and they'll say you know i've tried this i've tried that but it hasn't gone. And I always say, well, if it hasn't gone, it's because the right spot, in a way, hasn't been hit. When you hit, and there's often more than one spot, but if you, if you access the right spots and you fully allow the emotion that's behind them, the stuck emotion, to be fully released, um, then things can clear up very powerfully. And, and one of the things that I really liked about um, one of the conversations that we've had previously and I just thought, wow, I, I like Zoe. I think this is cool. Was, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I told you I'd had uh, a bunch of people that have come and seen me and they've sat down and they said, how can I help? And they say, well, Howard, I saw a therapist four weeks ago. They have a 100% success rate and they couldn't help me. Yeah. And part of me thinks, really? They have a 100% success rate. That's just phenomenal, isn't it? And they still couldn't help you. Yet you go back and they have not changed their marketing to reflect that failure. <laughs> shock horror a shock horror um and then when we spoke you said something really interesting to me about about, i think it was stopping smoking and you said well you don't really do that because your success rates with that are just you know not as good as some other people so you won't let let's outsource let someone else do that kind of stuff um it was it was it was addiction addiction yes the smoking the the smoking results are, are good actually pretty really quite good but i don't like working with other addictions so i'll work with like smoking and sugar you know, um, but I have the reason, one of the reasons I took on Paul Gibson, he's my addiction specialist, is because he's fantastic with addictions. I haven't had, you know, so if I work with anxiety, I am very, very confident that I can help whoever I see with anxiety. You know, that's been my experience. Um, but if somebody comes to me, comes to me and says, you know, I want to reduce my drinking, I um, the results have been a bit patchy, to be honest. And and I don't like working with it with, for that result, so for, for that reason. So I've taken on, that's why I took on my addiction specialist. He's done so much training and understanding in the neurology and the chemistry around addiction. And he has, um, he's so passionate about it. And he has such great results with cocaine, with alcohol, with a lot of the things that I would have said, okay, you know, that for me is a bit of a 12-step recovery job. Yeah. Um, so he's been great in changing my mind, really, because, you know, for me, if someone's necking wine first thing in the morning, that would be, you know, I suggest you go to AA. But Paul has successfully worked with these people and changed it, and it still appears changed after a considerable length of time. So it's... um having done it for 15 years I think I sort of oh I've, I know it all and of course I don't and then it's been it's been amazing for one of my associates to surprise me in the way that they have with such great results around addiction so yeah I won't work with um addiction I will give those to Paul because he's just so good at it I think what I like about that though is just your your honesty about saying hey look you know 
I'm okay with, I don't have to be the specialist, the expert in every single area. And right. I think there are a lot of hypnotherapists out there, you know, and you see it on the websites, what can you help with? And it's, oh, I specialize in, and there's a list of 7,000 conditions. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. and you think really, it's a specialist in 7,000, in fact, <laughs> you know, followed by, you know, a little dot, dot, dot saying, if there's anything else I haven't mentioned above, please contact me, I can help anyway. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, that's why I've got more. That's why I've got more people. You know, I, I'm not. You know, I have worked with children. I've had good results. Um, but it's not something that I love doing. Whereas Elaine is amazing with children. It's been. Um, so you know, I think we all have our our things that we you know that, that are close to our heart. You know, I you know I used to suffer from anxiety really badly myself, so I feel like I really understand anxiety. So therefore, I love working with it. Um. And that's not the same for everybody's journey. That's not why they, you know, you you find the things that you that you love the most. And it's often a combination of, uh, well, the most relief that you get for people and um, how comfortable you feel working with that. And your and your and you know, anxiety can be really complex. Um, and I love working with trauma as well. So, but I did want to create somewhere where everybody could come really, which is why I chose the associates for their sort of broad range of expertise. Well, it, it, it's fantastic, and it, it makes a lot of sense. And and one of the other things that we talked about, and it's actually come up on the podcast before with a, a wonderful therapist called Alexia Elliott, mm. who has some similarities to you in that, you know, a lot of people, you know, you hear, oh, I've got a, a fear of flying coming in, and you go, oh, yeah, this is great, looking forward. But someone says, I've got a really complex backstory and all sorts of multiple mm -hmm. layers, and people, some hypnotherapists can get a bit like, oh, no, I just want a phobic flyer. Please. Yeah, um, yeah, whereas yeah. You, 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 you know, one of the things that, that excites you about this is being able to help the more complex cases. It's kind of yeah. that roll your sleeves up and, okay, great, let, let's get stuck in and, and help here. Um, yeah. And you've talked to me before about shame mm. being often a, a linchpin of that and how powerful shame is. Um, when did shame first start to become on your radar as something that was so important in all of this? I think I, I think I'd, I think I'd probably even before I was a hypnotherapist, I'd read books about it. You know, I was also, obviously I was aware of it. There's an amazing book by John Bradshaw, "Healing the Toxic Shame That Binds You." Um, it was a New York Times bestseller for a while. It's been around a while. He's really great on shame. I think shame underpins all addiction, actually. Um, and the thing about shame is, if you think about fear, you know, fear is obviously, you know. No, no, it feels an extremely strong emotion. It's the strongest emotion, probably. Nobody wants to experience fear, but we all do. But with fear, you know, at the very worst, you can push through fear, you know, using intense courage. But there's something about shame that is so much more paralyzing than fear because it's shame itself is very, very, very. It makes someone feel incredibly small. There's a sort of element of worthlessness to it shame isn't really something that you can push through whereas fear I'm not saying that's always the best thing to do with fear um but you can push through fear using courage but shame is even more paralyzing than fear and i think that you need to meet shame with a lot of compassion now when there has been trauma complex severe it is always accompanied by shame you know it's no secret that if you look at addiction there's nearly always been trauma and in the in in the past and trauma creates shame so you have to meet shame with a lot of compassion a lot of tenderness um in order to release it and when you do it can be really really miraculous in what happens with the client because 
they're coming in with all sorts of presenting symptoms. And what I'm always looking at is what's underneath. And what's underneath is shame, fear. And of course, you know, shame creates a very toxic self-image, you know, and a lot of really unhelpful, very paralyzing beliefs. You know, shame is like shame will tell the client their inner voice will be I'm defective. There's something wrong with me. I'm faulty. I'm broken. I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. You know, happiness, love, you know, health, well-being, whatever, money, whatever the thing is that they want, the things that they they want. And when you clear up shame and those accompanying beliefs, there is there can be the, the most remarkable transformation. So I think, you know, it's again going back to what I said about mental health as well. You know, this this still isn't. It's funny, you know, in a way, people are still ashamed to talk about shame. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's um it's not known about enough. People talk about anxiety, depression, and the, accompanying all those things are shame. And a lot of the time, those shames are from that shame is from experiences that people have had when they're very very small. Because you know, I, my belief is up until the age of nine, we're you know sort of purely in our subconscious, if you like. So we're like these little sponges that are just soaking up whatever's going on around us. And if we haven't been surrounded by, you know, in a healthy, functional environment, which a lot of people haven't, um, then we just absorb all of the, you know, perhaps sickness, um, negative behavior, painful experiences. And the little kid, you know, believes that all that stuff is the reality of who they are. So a lot of my work is about clearing that up. And it, um, yeah, it absolutely moves mountains. This is why I love working with trauma, anxiety and shame, depression, all of these things so much, because um, it is the most transformational work and that's probably why I find it the most rewarding because people can come in with these sort of symptoms and they're like well this is gone but also I'm drinking less and I feel lighter and I'm not scared of getting in lifts anymore and there's always other beautiful little things that clear up mm-hmm. that they haven't even really it wasn't really a priority it's just been a beautiful byproduct of the work that we've done. Uh, it, it, it's so interesting uh, to, to think around some of this and certainly even just to switch people onto this idea of beginning to become more aware of of thinking about shame and the part mm-hmm. and the role that that plays is, is so important. Yeah. Um, on a different track, if there are people out there who, you know, are keen to, to learn more or get interested in this whole um, in, in hypnotherapy Mm-hmm. What what books would you recommend for you that have been standout other than some of the ones that you've already mentioned uh, from John Bradshaw? Well, it's funny because I, I did read, I read David El, David Elman's um, book on hypnotherapy many, many years ago. I haven't really read any books on hypnosis for a while. I tend to read a lot more books on things like trauma and stuff like that because that for me is where, you know, I will bring all of those elements into my work. Patrick Carnes, who wrote The Betrayal Bond, which is all about trauma bonds, is an absolutely fascinating book. Again, not a particularly light read. My friend's always like, God, you read such heavy books. Um <laughs> But yeah, anything by John Bradshaw, who I know I've already mentioned, Patrick Kearns is also amazing. Brené Brown, who talks a lot about shame and vulnerability and courage, I think is absolutely amazing. Um, but I had to be honest, I haven't really read that many books on hypnosis anymore. It's I'm much more interested in um, a peer melody. I really like books on you know she, she wrote about no it's Melody Beatty. Sorry, she mm. wrote about codependence. I'm quite very interested in those therapeutic processes. And then what I will do is kind of weave and blend that knowledge, I think, into my sessions. And that's what I found the most powerful in terms of creating huge shifts in people, really. The healing work. 
Fantastic. So how important do you think, because uh, there are some age-old ideas, perhaps sort of these, these Freudian ideas of, mm-hmm. you know, we, we must relive the past. We must uh, do deep analysis. And, you know, uh, how on the money do you think uh, that kind of stuff is in relation to the work that you do in terms of change? Well, you know, what I, I, I first got trained in the inner child model. And to be honest, I've never, that's still my sort of go-to thing. Now, what I, you know, this isn't about reliving the trauma. I think, you know, going back to my, um, what I said about how there's no time in the subconscious. So how I think of it is this. Um, we go through experiences as a kid or as a young adult or no, any time in our life, really. You can use this for anything, you know, uh, flying, uh, trauma, you know, whatever the thing is. And it's almost like part of us breaks off and stays stuck in our subconscious at that age. And then it can kind of lay dormant, really. And then it will get triggered by certain things, depending on what the issue is. So say if you had a dog phobia, you know, someone might think I'm just phobia of dogs, I've got no idea where it comes from. And then you have a chat to themselves, well, I did get bitten by a dog when I was five years old. This is a very basic example, but I'm just using it as as, as one. Um, And what I will do is go back in time, work with the little five-year-old self, um, let them know that, you know, it's fine, that they've survived it, it's okay, that it's safe, it's over, you often an emotional release. We reintegrate that inner child and um, lo and behold, the, the dog phobia usually clears up very, very quickly indeed. Now that can work with all sorts of things, with relationships. People come in, they say, I don't know, for example, I keep choosing unavailable men or women, you know, they keep doing it, you know, their friends, it just become really obvious, you know, you want to see what's going on in your life, you know, if, you, if there's a pattern, a repetitive pattern is coming from your subconscious without doubt. So a lot of time we're not choosing to do the things that we're doing. So here's another interesting thing about the subconscious. People often come in and say to me, oh, you know, I just I keep self-sabotaging. And I'm like, well, it's manifesting as self-sabotage. But actually, the intention from your subconscious is protection. It's trying to protect you, but it just shows up as self-sabotage. So for example, going back to the unavailable partner thing. So somebody be choosing unavailable partner in a sort of roundabout way of protecting themselves because if they've had negative experiences around love or they experienced, for example, their parents divorcing and their hearts were broken or they saw their mum being heart being broken, their mum had terrible boyfriends, etc., they'll come to believe it's not safe for me to be in a relationship. So therefore, they will subconsciously choose unavailable partners. I think the other thing that happens is that the subconscious always wants to resolve what was unsatisfactory. So we can end up attracting situations via bosses or partners or friends that are recreations of our trauma. And one of the things I do with the subconscious is say to it, you know, you don't, you don't, this doesn't need to be resolved. You know, this cannot be resolved through in the present. So we go back in time, um, and we let the subconscious know that this is over, that we're changing things, and we update the script. I'm really big on updating the script. So one of the ways I'll start, I always work is talk to the subconscious. We honour and acknowledge what's going on. We say thank you for working so hard to protect this person in this way. However, we need a different strategy, and this isn't working. Because them being constantly anxious or them choosing terrible boyfriends or girlfriends or them spending all of their money really really quickly because they've got negative beliefs around money from their childhood it doesn't it's not working for them as an adult and the subconscious will respond to that so in answer to your question I do go back I do look at things but you know we don't spend you know sessions and sessions there I'm quite swift in um 
I think this is, you know, I think this is the way I enjoy working in identifying what's really going on underneath the conscious manifestation, identifying that with the subconscious. And often when you acknowledge that within the session in hypnosis, the client starts crying. So I, I think when you acknowledge the truth of what's really going on, there is nearly always an emotional release. And when I get that emotional release, I nearly always notice that the problem clears up. So I do go back in time. I don't spend hours in analysis or anything like that. My first session is two hours. We look at what's going on. During that time, I'm looking at their childhood. I'm also identifying where I think these things come from, then the actual hypnosis part of the session is confirming that with the subconscious, negotiating with it to let it go. And then I go back in time, I work with that inner child, all that aspect. And we say, let's let this go now, because we do the grief and the healing work around it. So we're never minimizing, but but we are saying, let's draw a line in the sand and let's stop this now, because this no longer works. It's interesting, and it certainly sounds like you're making a distinction between what I would call, you know, reliving trauma mm-hmm. and exploring and recoding. Um, yes. You know, it's not. It, it certainly doesn't sound like you're certainly going in there and going, you know, I really want you to go back to that terrible moment, see what you were seeing at the time, hear what you were hearing, relive every moment. What's that really like for you as you re-experience it all now? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't want to re-traumatize. What I do want to do is allow a very safe experience of the emotion that got stuck and locked in at that traumatic moment. I think that if, when somebody went through a trauma and it was fully processed at the time with love and care and gentleness, then that trauma would not stay locked in the system. But it nearly always does, you know, because mm. you know there isn't all these this team of people on hand to to process someone's trauma when it happens um so it gets locked in the system because i think emotions have a life cycle and i think what trauma is is that the energy or the life cycle gets stuck in the system and then it manifests as a conscious problem in the present so my job is to go in and release that uh, you know allow that emotion its full expression and say to the subconscious it's over we can move on we can let go of this and then that's when the healing occurs. So it's certainly not about, you know, people have gone through some absolutely horrific things. The last thing I want to do is be for them to be reliving anything. But I do want the emotional release. So I create a lot of safety. We're going back in time to get that little kid. We're going back in time. We don't have to look at it or see any of it. But we're just going to let her know that it's over. So it's quite a fine balance to get, you know, because you want to release the trauma. Um, and you want to do that properly because otherwise it's not going to go. Um, but you also, you, like, like you say, you don't want someone to relive the horror. And um, I don't think my clients do. Indeed. Can you give me a couple of examples, Zoe, uh, where people have come in one way uh, and they've left and in a fairly short space of time? There have been uh, some amazing transformations. Yes. Let me give you an interesting example. Mm. I uh, body dysmorphia disorder is an interesting one. So I, I think a lot of the time, you know, so for example, you, someone comes in with a dog phobia, they got bitten by a dog when they're five, very easy to see where that came from. I like the ones where we just don't know where it's come from. So I had a uh, lady with a very thick head of hair, and um, probably the best hair that I've ever seen in my life, actually, absolutely petrified of um, losing her hair. And, you know, there was, it was like you say, it's the neurosis. I have permission to talk about this, by the way, I've asked her. So I'm still not going to name names, keep confidentiality, but um, I'll use it as an example. She had no idea where this came from. And um, we couldn't find, you know, talking to her. There was no, re- there's no, there's always no, there was no conscious reason for it to be there. And um, 
it was all to do with anxiety around her mother. So her mother was a very, very, very anxious woman. And um, my client had absorbed a lot of that anxiety. And for whatever reason, it manifested. You know, sometimes I think anxiety just got nowhere to go. So it just latches on to the nearest thing. I'm sure you've experienced that in your practice. You know, anxiety can jump around like a bird from branch to branch, can't it really? It's this, it's that. It's a real, it's a movable feast. If there is unresolved anxiety, trauma, etc., in the body, it will just find something to latch onto in the present, you know, and that's the neurosis. So for whatever reason, it had latched onto her hair, um, maybe because it was important to her. I'm sure it was. Um, but um, when we did the work, I just got this very strong sense. I was like, this isn't this isn't even yours. This anxiety that you're carrying isn't even yours. It's like she just absorbed it from her mother. So we did a lot of work to um and she didn't believe me at all. And she's like, oh, she just I could tell she just thought we were just, you know, going down a bit of a rabbit hole with it. And uh, she got quite frustrated in the session. Um, which people I wish I find often happens is it's resistance to what's about to be released. And then mm. when we the, the work with kind of facing her mother and looking at the anxiety that she was holding uh, for her mother, there was this huge emotional release. And um, she never ch- she never worried about her hair again, you know. And it was it was nothing to do with her hair. And you know, I think uh, this, it can it, it, you know these things can manifest in really bizarre ways. A lot of the time with body dysmorphia disorder, especially because the people are usually obsessed with a certain thing. And it isn't because they were teased about it at school or bullied about a certain body part or anything like that. It's become, for whatever reason, there's just been this unresolved anxiety or something inside and it's just latched onto an aspect of their appearance. So that was a really, uh, really interesting one, actually. It's fascinating. It's absolutely Mm. fascinating. And I love hearing uh, that sort of stuff Uh, and and opening uh, opening people's eyes to to what's possible and what really can be achieved. Um, Zoe, if people are listening and want to get in touch with you, where can they go? How can they get in touch? So they can get in touch with me on my website, which is www.zoeclews-hypnotherapy.co.uk. So my email address and my mobile phone number are both on there. And that's the quickest way to do it. Fantastic. And we will put the links underneath this episode as well. So it's very, very easy. Um, the, the, the final question that I have for you, uh, and it's really and no pressure, but, you know, in the past, some people have come up with just some amazing stuff at this moment. Mm. Amazing stuff. <laughs> but no pressure, you know, is um, <laughs> genuinely speaking. Is there anything when we talked about you coming on the Rapid Change Matters podcast? Is there anything that you thought would come up that you'd like to share, but that I just haven't asked directly? No, but I suppose what I want to say more than anything, really, it's because it's more of a message, is that whatever it is that anyone thinks that they have to live with, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD, I have just experienced over the last 15 years within myself, um, within clients, with the, the clients my associates work with, and, you know, of course, other therapists that I know, this stuff you don't have to live with it you know it's um there's a lot of talk about mental health as if it's well my depression is just part of me I'm going to have to live with it for the rest of my life I really don't believe in so many cases that you do and I think it's really really important in a way never to give up your fight for the right to the light in 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 a way as in no matter what you've gone through you know no matter how much adversity you've experienced if you 
um, no matter what, you know, what knocks life has thrown of you. I think it's really, really important to know that there are so many ways to heal. And that if you would work at it, you can, you can, you can move mountains, you can overcome so much. And actually, you can go from, you know, not believing very good things about yourself to, to having, you know, solid, robust self-esteem and a really, really good life. You can really transform things. They are my favorite people in the world, people who have experienced real adversity and come out the other side. I just think I want to talk about, I think it's my, oh, my message to be, you know, is that about the power of recovery, really. I think that's really important. I think that's what, you know, people need to need to hear. People are sort of reporting mental health issues more than ever. People are struggling more than ever. We're living in a, in a world where there's more noise. We're, exp- we're experiencing more noise, you know, with social media, which is, of course, great, but it's also, you know, it brings its problems. A lot of children are suffering. A lot of teenagers are suffering. And um, I suppose I just want to say that, you know, we, we – you can, we can really recover from, from huge things. I've seen it, you know, I've seen people recover from absolutely devastating experiences. And I think the human spirit is extremely resilient, but you have to get the right support. I quite agree. And I, I think it's a really nice message to end on. Um, so thank you so much, Zoe, for, for spending some time with us today. And I hope uh, our listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. And uh, I've got so much out of it. So really, really do appreciate you taking your time. Wonderful. It's an absolute pleasure and a joy. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested, and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapidchangematters hyphen podcast, and of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.